0: Welcome back to Long Distance Work Life, where we help you lead, work, and thrive in remote and hybrid teams. I'm Rosa Eikenberry, a fellow remote worker, and today I'm not going to be joined by Wayne Termell because we're going to be listening to a special episode
1: with Wayne Termell Kevin Eikenberry, and their friend Jeff Brown talk about the new book, The Long Distance Team. This was from our virtual LeaderCon event a few weeks ago, and we really
0: hope that you enjoy.
2: All right, everybody. Oh. There are three faces here, not just one, not just two, but three faces here. Uh, and the guy who's in the the front spot is gonna be in charge here in just a second. This is a session I've been looking forward to because I'm gonna hand the mic over to Jeff Brown. You see him over there. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about Jeff and then I'm gonna hand it off to Jeff for the next 45 minutes. Uh, Jeff spent most much of his career as a broadcaster, including co-hosting an award-winning and nationally syndicated morning show in Nashville. He also served in the Nashville music industry for several years, helping take 21, 26 songs uh, in just 22 months to number one. I didn't know that until I read this. <laughs> Jeff. Uh, 2013, the Read to Lead podcast, four times has been nominated as the best business podcast. It's one of my very, very favorites. Hmm. 2021, the book Read to Lead came out. Uh, here it is. Uh, in 2022, uh, he created his note making mastery cohort and he has a read to lead online community as well and jeff it's all yours
0: thank you so much it is it is a true honor to to be invited here to conduct this interview so thank you so much for the opportunity uh both kevin and wayne i really appreciate it um i have uh, been uh immersing myself in this over the last uh, three days this this was my weekend right here uh, and, i'm sorry and I, no. yeah i
2: was gonna say that's
0: <laughs> i'm i'm the better Not for, for the rest it, of it,
2: <laughs> you all need to immerse away right way to rub it in yeah.
0: <laughs> no i was delighted to, to do it uh the the subtitle of the book designing your team for everyone's success uh at first blush when i first read that um sort of suggests it's maybe mostly for for team leaders but but kevin the book's applicability actually goes a lot further than that doesn't it
2: yeah, I, I think it does. Um, you know, we I started the day, Jeff, today, I think you were actually there when I did this, talking about the fact that we're all, we all have a responsibility here uh, for the content of this day. And I think that's the true true for the book, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think the book enables people at any level to, to say, what can we do to make our culture of our team better? Uh, and yet, I, I think it's a call to action for senior leaders as well.
0: You know, I think it was interesting that you spent the first couple of chapters defining terms like teams and, and cultures. And I think most people uh, think they've, they've heard those terms enough that they know what they mean. But but why did you, I'll ask you, Wayne, think it necessary to spend the early part of the book covering uh, this ground?
1: Um, I'm a big fan of quotes. And there's one in particular, we actually mention it in the book. And I know you sound like the world's oldest cis white guy when you quote Marshall McLuhan, (laughs) but he had this great quote that said, I don't know who discovered water, but it wasn't a fish. Mm. (laughs) And that is, we live in this bubble. We live in our culture. We live in our, our companies and our workplaces, but we don't always see them for what they are.
0: Mm.
1: You know, we're so busy just doing it. And we're hearing a lot, especially now as return to office and kind of post-COVID, well, we want people to come into the office because otherwise we won't have a culture. Well, yeah, you will. It might not be the one you want. <laughs> it might not be recognizable, but you will have a culture. And I think it's important that we define our terms before we try to solve the problem.
2: Well, I want to add something with that word culture because, you know, and and I'm, uh, I'm a I, we are a part of the problem, right? Because there are certain words uh, that have been used so much to your point, Jeff, but that they have become unfortunately vague and everyone Mm -hmm. nods their head because they've heard them so much. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. But no one really can describe um, what they are. Like at a cocktail party or a coffee shop, like, oh yeah, but but no one can like, well, what is it? Well, I can't really tell you, right? Culture (laughs) is simply the way we do things here. Right. Right. And okay. now if we can. okay. now we can go somewhere. Right. So, Mm. uh, again, define the terms up front. So important.
1: And and it's also, you know, Kevin said something. And again, if we're going to get really granular, right, he said culture is how we do things here. That's true. What things are we talking about? And what is here? (laughs) What is things and what is here? Because we're not all in the same place. And when we talk about this is how we do things here, we know that a culture can be how you resolve conflict in this company. Right. How do we get our work done? How do we run meetings? How do we? There's a lot of stuff. That how, contributes. Do we, how do we deal
2: with conflict? How do we? Hmm. Uh, how, how, is it is it OK to ask a question in a meeting? I mean, there's a hundred, there's a hundred things.
0: And I like that, that that while these two things, team and culture, are obviously intertwined and interconnected, you saw the need to, hey, before we accomplish what we're going to accomplish with this book, we need to separate the two, right? And and talk about them independent of one another. Um, you've written now The Long Distance Leader and The Long Distance Teammate, now The Long Distance Team. How do these three books sort of fit to, uh, together, Kevin?
2: Well, um it ends up as a series, right? So it started out with the the leader because we, we knew this was pre pandemic. We knew that there was, um, there were people that were leading teams at a distance like me, Mm -hmm. uh, lots of them. And we wanted to support folks in that journey. Uh, and, and then we said also pre pandemic, um, when we started that, um, the team members have a role here too, kind of like the theme of what we've already said here that everyone Mm -hmm. has a role to play here. So we talked about the leader, we talked about individual team members, teammates, and now we need to put this together. And and I think, although the word culture isn't in the title or subtitle, I think it is a huge part of this book because I, I think that there's so much as much as people talked about culture before the pandemic, people are talking about it more now. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. it's, it was sort of a winsome thought of, "I wish we could get what we once had," right kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and I think it, I think Wayne Wayne talks to this a lot about the fact that I think we were prescient in in how much pain there is around culture now.
0: Mm. And and it's important to recognize at the same time. I think uh, this would be accurate to say this is you don't consider this a post COVID book,
1: right? This is not that. No, I don't think it's a post COVID book. First of all, you know, there's the whole argument about are we in fact post COVID, right? Right, right. But I I think it's not so much a post COVID book. It's just the timing is really good on this. Because Mm. we're in an moment in time where we actually have a moment and it's going to be just a moment Mm. to stop and think about Where have we been and where are we going? Usually we're just so busy doing it that we're just trying to stay above water. We're at this point now where people are like, well, how are we going to return to the office? What does this look like? You know, this doesn't look like it did in the before times. And what Mm -hmm. are we going to do about it? And there's this moment right now where we can stop and think about this before we're back just doing it again and flailing.
0: What, what would you say to the leader who's, who's sitting here right now, maybe thinking, Wayne, I mean, can't we just go back to the culture we had before the world got turned upside down? <laughs> I,
1: you know, I, I tend to be, and every, a lot of people on this call are painfully aware that I tend to be a little more skeptical than some people. And truthfully, when people say that, I always say, Was, were you working in the Garden of Eden? <laughs> Good point, (laughs) right? Because if you stop, it's not like nobody ever complained about how work was done in the before times.
2: Right, right.
1: There was plenty wrong with it. We were just too busy scrambling to actually stop and deal with it.
2: Well, Mm -hmm. we we still had a business then, right? I mean, people still had problems. They still had challenges. They're still asking us for help. All that was Mm -hmm. true. And the the thing I would add to that, yeah. and, and, And by the way, the longer we get past that, the more that it feels like the good old days right the, the, the more the further we get away from that time the more we sort of say yeah it was so awesome well not so much right everyone wants to uh, pick any time in the good old days and i can give you a whole bunch of things you didn't love right um and but there's there's another piece to this another piece mm-hmm. to this is whether we liked it or not we went through this period of the pandemic of the lockdowns i'll just use the lockdowns
0: mm-hmm.
2: right where we were forced, many of us, were forced to work in different ways. Right. And we learned some stuff. Why would we want to forget what we learned? Why would we want to not look to what we got there that we could apply moving forward? Like, mm. why wouldn't we want that?
1: I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, um, <laughs> A large part of it is the endowment effect, which basically says people are more resistant to losing something than they are making a positive change. Hmm. And so if I, and especially senior leaders, and especially I mean, Kevin is an exception to this, if I'm the founder of a company, right, or I've been leading that particular location for a million years, there is a lot invested you know, I believe this is how business was done. I believe this is how people succeeded. I believed all that stuff, and now you're asking us to change everything we believe about how I got here.
2: Yeah, the system that we had worked. Like for all of the people uh, that look like me—I mean, I mean, look like me—but are my age, right? Yeah. Or no, you have to be as old as me. Like uh, who knows? Maybe I'm the oldest person here. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, you're not. I know I'm not, I know that Wayne's older than me, but <laughs> the point is, the point is that uh I, in the, in the world that existed, it worked for me. Mm. I figured it out. We were successful. Look at the results. Why? Like, and it's what I know. It's what I know worked. Like I, I want, I want that back because it's, mm. uh, it's certainty and it's comfort and it's, it's known and 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 by the way i want my team to still succeed and and everybody that's how we did it and we can't can't we just go back like so when you if you're the person who's like why is my why are our bosses so dumb why are they (laughs) such a stick in the mud why are they so have such a big blind spot if you think about it that way you can you can see that Mm. like that makes some sense. It's not enough. We, we mm-hmm. shouldn't stay there. It's not an excuse, but it should help those of us that don't see it that way understand that perspective better.
1: And also, to be fair to those bosses, we knew how to help people succeed in that environment. Mm-hmm. Right. I knew how to coach somebody and pair them up with somebody and set up a mentorship. And I knew how to do that. that's one of the big things. Jamie Dimon at uh, Citibank, you know, it was incredibly, you know, he's been awfully quiet lately, uh, was incredibly violently get your tail into the office because for 150 years, that's how Wall Street worked. Mm. And it worked great for the people that it worked for and he knew that system and he knew that people could succeed there and why mess with it if it ain't broke
2: Hmm. Hmm. Hey, i have to step in for one second because i forgot to do this earlier if you were with us at the beginning of the day i said something about the weather in indianapolis and i'm looking outside right now and it's really windy and it's really going so if something happens and i leave you guys will continue without me um (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, and yeah, my team says the storm just hit. Like I'm looking out this window saying, yeah, I mean, it's possible that I will be gone, but you will continue (laughs) on without me. So go ahead. And
0: we'll, we'll hope that you're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, in chapter five, I think it is, uh, is where Wayne and Kevin unpack uh, their 3C model, uh, communication. uh, Oh, I'm going from here, collaboration, uh, cohesion. Did I get that right? Yep. Um, uh, Inside uh, the two purposes of team design and culture creation, what can we use? uh, And I'll throw this to you, Wayne. um, What can we use the 3C model to do?
1: Well, I think it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, culture is how we do it here. Mm. What is it? What do we do? Well, if you take how the team operates, it kind of starts with, you know, what's the work do we do? How do we do it? And what's the environment that we do it in? And the three C's help identify the things that we do. So if you look at communication, how do we communicate? That's partly what tools do we have? What method, but also do we really rely on email? Do we really use teams? Well, or do we just do the bare minimum with communication? Hmm. Uh, You know, are we a very forthcoming, proactive organization? Are people free to speak up? And that's part of communication, right? Collaboration? How does work get done? Hmm. And a really simple example of every culture being different is how do meetings happen? Who gets to call them? Do we get to say, you know what, I don't need to be at that bit meeting, so I'm going to beg off? Or do you go and sit there miserably because that's just how we do it here?
0: Hmm.
1: Right. And then cohesion is how are you going to create the social and psychological and and connections that people are going to work with on a regular basis to and and very often that's what we think about culture, right? Mm -hmm. Are we a fun culture? Are we a competitive culture? Are we whatever we are? But I I like to think of the three C's and the way the book is structured. You know, we have a whole lot of questions that Mm -hmm. you can ask yourself, but almost everything fits into those three columns.
2: Well, I'll just add something from what we talked about this morning, if those of you that were around with us this morning, we were talking with Pilar. So another part of collaboration is, is does it have to be synchronous? Can it be asynchronous? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, how does that fit into both how we want to design our teams and what we want the culture to be like once we have a team? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so there's just another example to add to to the, to what Wayne has said. Well, let, let's...
1: Well, and, and a really tactical example, again, following on Pilar mm-hmm. is we have a very fun environment Uh we're, we have a lot of fun. We enjoy each other's company when we're working asynchronously. We engage in that, you know, we bust each other's chops. We post links to funny articles we found or this or that. And we continue to have fun. A lot of people use team slack, whatever, as a purely transactional. This is business, darn it. <laughs> right? But we've chosen to continue to have fun and Hmm. act as if we're all just kids on the same playground.
0: Hmm. I want to dig into team design a little bit. Uh, My approach, let's say I'm a team leader, is going to differ, Mm -hmm. uh, Kevin, uh, depending on whether I'm building a team from the ground up or I'm redesigning an existing team, right? What are some of those nuances? How, How might that look differently?
2: Well, I think, first of all, if your team is new, it's a new project or, or a brand new company, as someone was to, talking about in, in earlier in one of our sessions, mm. uh, we sort of probably know we ought to think about this a little bit, right? So there's at least some thought put into it. Um, but a lot of times we sort of think, well, it's a fait accompli if we have an existing team. So I think part of this is to say, number one, that um, just because you have a team designed today doesn't mean it has to stay that way. After all, the world is changing, has changed and is changing. So why couldn't the team look, why might, why might the team need to look different given all those other changes in context Mm -hmm. and need, et cetera, et cetera. So is that part, but on the front end is what we're trying to do is give people tools. If you do have that brand new team, if it is a brand new company, if it is a project team, the things that you ought to be talking about and asking about, um, are just critical, right? And and here we were talking about earlier this conversation of uh, with Robert in the last session about ninety two the company that ninety two percent of the stuff got returned, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have time to fix that stuff because we're too busy. Well, we're busy fixing the returns, right? <laughs> so here's the thing: it, if we say well, we don't have time to to build the team because we've got to get the work done, mm-hmm. uh, you may not have time. But you're going to make time for the problems that you create by not spending the time on the front end. Mm-hmm. The three of us all remember the old commercial, and someone will have to Google it. You can pay me now, or you can pay me later, right?
0: Right, right. Um, I like this term uh, you use it to title part for the book: uh, aspirational culture. Wayne, what are the key steps that that we need to take into account when defining aspirational culture for our for our company, for our organization?
1: Well, I think like so much in life, it's about taking a moment, just stop for a minute Mm. and just imagine if you were designing your ideal company culture, what would that look like, right? What would that be like for you? And most of us don't do that. I mean, we might have a momentary daydream, but realistically, what is the kind of culture that I I aspire to, right? And it contains all those things, all those questions, all those things that we we talk about. But take a moment and say, what would this look like? And you can even compare that to what do I what's going on now, right? What does our culture look like now and what would I like it to be? What works? What doesn't work. I mean, I hate that about working here. (laughs) And what kind of works? And maybe we could do it better. And just taking the time to think about what would that look like, can very often identify two or three levers that if you could fix that would fundamentally change the way the culture works.
2: Yeah. To take us back to the, Mm. to the conversation we were having earlier about the before times as Wayne likes to call them. Right. Uh, I I will often say to people, listen, there are three cultures to consider the one you had, Mm. the one you've got and the one you want. And by, by just making those three statements, I find that people say, oh yeah, like, it isn't just like, I just want to go back. Right. I really, what, what is it that we really want? Aspiration. Like what would make, what would be fantastic. What would be remarkable? What would be awesome? What would be, uh, where people would be at, we would have no trouble attracting the talent that we want. Mm-hmm. And we would have no trouble keeping the talent that we've got as an example. Right. And, and, and so as Wayne said, like, take the time to say, what, what could it be? And, and I believe if it's truly aspirational, it's always a journey, right? Like we ought to create it is to say, that's what we really want. And, and we're going to we're gonna to strive to keep getting there and we may never, right? Excellence hmm. is a journey, not a destination, if you wanna call it, say it that way. You guys
0: talk uh, uh, quite a bit in the book about uh, macro culture or company culture, micro culture, the, the the team or individual teams culture, and oftentimes senior leadership is oblivious to many of the, of the micro cultures within their organization. Um, unpack the process, Kevin, of, of building the micro inside the macro. What, is, what does that look like?
2: Yeah. It, This is, this to me is maybe one of the most important things in the book. And that's Mm. why this isn't just a book because some people would say, oh, this is culture. This is for senior leaders, right? Like I can't Mm. do anything about that. And yet um, we absolutely can. Because if you've ever been, if any of you have ever, if you work in or have ever worked in a big organization and you, you know that it feels a little different in this department than in that department, that's the microculture, right? Like we already, We may not have thought about it this way, but we know it exists. And so, so the thing is, even if the the large organization, the macro organization, is not thinking about these things, that doesn't mean that we can't think as a leader uh, about these things. That' why we, as an individual, can't take it to our team leader and say we should work on we could work on this stuff. Mm -hmm. And and what we're trying to do in the book is to give you a very tactical way to go about it. And the thing is, and Wayne and I have both said it now. We we've said what's the culture you want? That's not the culture. What's the culture the leader wants? That's -hmm. the culture we, the collective we uh, want. And and so we talk a lot about how, as a group, we can come to some picture jointly, collectively, about what we want in a microculture. And that's having worked with Mm -hmm. large organizations, helping them figure this out at the macro level. It's easier to do at the micro level, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what are those things that we want? And yes, we have to take the macro into account uh, but we need to really think about what we want. Go ahead, Wayne.
1: If I can give you a really concrete example, and I've, mm-hmm. I've got to be very careful how I position this. Um, we worked with a large multinational company. Mm-hmm. Uh, company was based in Korea. Happened. This particular company happened to be based in Korea. And when they were talking about return to work, where you really saw macroculture and, and uh, microculture, come together is were the teams led by people from the original company or were they led by people who had come in otherwise and maybe weren't korean
0: Mm. Mm.
1: and the way that they responded to remote work the way they responded to uh letting people participate in the the decision process all of those things were very different, depending on was the manager from the mothership or was the manager from somewhere else. Mm. And you saw it writ large.
2: <laughs> yeah, because and we were all these leaders, and we saw it. We saw it every time we were with them. Mm. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, Wayne, how do we manage to kind of take this the next step, make the culture come to life? How do we how do we translate our vision actually into reality? What advice would you give there?
1: Well, anytime you want to change behavior, right? If you're thinking about as a manager, as a coach, we're going to change behavior. What do you do? Well, you have to set expectations. And everybody has to know what those expectations are. And, And you know, what are the expectations? What is the uh, What are the consequences or rewards for meeting those expectations? All of that. Right. So the expectations need to be set. Now, people tend to do more than just comply if they've had a part in that process. Hmm. So once you've had the discussions and you kind of come together with this is what we want it to be, and we're all kind of agreement, and these are the actions and behaviors that are going to get us there, we'll try that for a while. And you can't just, you know, wind it up, set it on your desk, and let it run. You need to monitor it and assess it and manage the performance and do all of that good stuff. And then periodically check to see if it's working the way we thought it would. You know, it it, ultimately, it's a performance management thing. Mm. Uh, But Kevin uses a phrase and I'll let him uh, go down that rabbit hole. But he uses a phrase that a lot of people need to think about, which is pilot before policy. Well, yeah, a lot I mean, of times when it comes to culture, they decide what this is going to look like and then hope everybody kind of gets with the program.
2: Well, here's the thing. I mean, I started saying this, you know, as as the however you want to define this, the pandemic was winding down. People were starting to think about bringing people back to a workplace and all that sort of stuff, and they were saying, well, we're going to build a policy. I'm like, why? Like, there's too This is too complex for you. I mean, like, you should try some stuff. And maybe you should try some stuff differently in different parts of your organization. And in fact, isn't doesn't the work itself of one group lend itself perhaps to a different answer than the work of another group even within the same organization?
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so that that's one level of thinking about pilot versus policy. And the other piece of that, as we're as we're identifying a, a we'll just use. I'll just say culture. It could be macro or micro. Like as we've identified this aspirational culture, a piece of this ought to be that we ought to spend some time. think we've sort of created this picture and now we need to think about it. We need to socialize it. We need to spend a little time Mm. with it, right? Before we sort of all sign on the dotted line. And so Mm. it's the same idea. We wouldn't be thinking about a, a, a culture as a policy, but it's the same idea. Like this should be something that should We should be willing to learn from, iterate on, because listen, we are in a world that is complex, no big news. But when it's that complex, if we try to create the perfect policy, first of all, it'll take us forever and we won't get it anyway. But the other thing is we'll create unintended consequences. And once we put it in stone, it's harder to change. We all know that, right?
0: Mm. You know, Wayne got into, he touched on expectations earlier with regard to translating the vision for your culture into reality. Uh, Kevin, what about accountability? What about uh, tracking progress or tracking success? What, what does that look like?
2: Well, we can talk about accountability in a lot of ways. I often joke that accountability is the world's longest four-letter word, right? (laughs) Because for the most part, when we hear it, we're like, uh uh-oh because I'm right. going to hold you accountable. But let's just think about it this way. Accountability is ownership, right? Mm. So if I feel ownership of something, it's far easier for me to be accountable for it, right? right? And so if, as we prescribe or we suggest that that, as many people as can be are involved in the creation, for example, of the culture, that of the aspirational culture, then there, we are all more, we feel like we own that picture. And so we have we're a lot more accountable for moving in the direction of that picture. Mm-hmm. Whether whether it's something granular, like how I, you know, we want people to come prepared for meetings, well then I better come prepared. <laughs> and if I don't, then I'm not living up to what we agreed, not what Wayne, the boss, told me to do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's different. It's about commitment versus compliance. And so it, it it changes the whole dynamic when we start to think about it. That way.
0: Hmm. Well, we're in the home stretch now. Let's let's move to uh, engagement. Uh, I'll I'll send this one to you, Wayne. Uh, what ultimately is the leader's role with regard to engagement? What does he or she need to do or understand?
1: I love that question because just as <laughs> you might be shocked to hear, I've been asked it before. <laughs> um, just as Kevin said, accountability. We have this initial reaction right? I'm going to hold you accountable engagement. The manager's job is to make sure that engagement can happen. You cannot make sure that engagement happens. I'll give you an example. You, you and I Well, let's say you and somebody are in a romantic relationship. And you decide you're going to put a ring on it. So you get down on one knee and you ask that person to marry you. And that person is not engaged until they say yes. Right, You can do everything possible to make that the the preferred answer, (laughs) right? And employers spend a lot of time worrying about employee engagement. They can't engage the employees. The employees choose whether or not they engage. It's internally driven. Doesn't mean there aren't things employers can do to make it really desirable not to, you know, it's easier to disengage than to engage. Mm. But if we think about our role as leaders, it's to create the environment, help create the environment in which it makes it really easy to engage and periodically ask, are you engaged? Mm. Especially remotely, it's really easy to assume that because somebody isn't participating at this moment, they don't care. Mm.
2: This is another one of those words where people like us that write books have sort of, you know, uh, given a word, a bad name, perhaps. Right. Mm. Like because a lot of people have 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 asked, they're still asking, like, well, how can I engage them? Like they're not in the office anymore. Like when they came to the office, we had the, you know, the weekly massage and we had the good food and we had mm. ping pong table and all that. Like that. None of that matters, really. Mm. Like that's all wonderful. Nothing wrong, Nothing wrong with any of it. Do those Do those things create the situation where people where it might be easier for people to say, yes, I'm engaged, perhaps. But that's not what engagement is. As Wayne said, we can't make them. They're choosing. so it's it's incumbent on us as leaders to figure out how we help them choose. Mm-hmm. And it starts with helping people, helping all of us see, that being engaged is actually something we want because it is. I mean, 95% of people, 95% of the time want to be at a place where they're doing meaningful work, where what they do makes a difference, that they, that that they want to feel like I'm a part of something bigger than myself. And those are, when those things are true, I'm in.
1: Mm. And a big part of engagement is social, which is where it gets trickier. Right. When you're working remotely, one of the interesting stats is people who work remotely and have flexibility over their time and stuff and are engaged are the most engaged employees you have because they're happy to be there and they're energized by the work and all, all of that
0: good <laughs> stuff.
1: The people that are actively disengaged, though, and they're not, by the way, having any fun and they don't have buddies at work and they don't see everybody. That's when disengagement is a real problem
2: and it really starts to downward swirl. Rachel's point uh that disengaged is exhausting and tiresome not to mention depressing <laughs> right but being engaged is fulfilling rewarding and desired and 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 that is what we as leaders can do is to help people see that like it, it's it's not a ploy right it's not a ploy to get people to be willing to provide discretionary effort right it's <laughs> not it's, that's not what it is right it's it's really in it's really, truly in everybody's best interest mm-hmm. because that's what we ultimately want, to be doing something that matters, to make a difference, right? That's what, that's, and we're serving our team members when we help them get there.
0: To the direction you almost went to earlier, Wayne, I I would get down on one knee for you, but I understand you to be taken. So uh, I'm going to (laughs) refrain.
2: Well, you know, I I, I I respect your restraint. Uh, You're also taken. Annie would not be happy with that. That's true.
0: That's true. That's true. (laughs) Well, let me ask if there's anything I didn't ask uh, from the book that you'd want to make sure that those watching and listening know. Kevin, I'll start with, with you.
2: Well, uh, I'm glad we talked about engagement because I think that's so important. I mean, mm-hmm. we did talk about uh, engagement and accountability at the end of the book because they're so important to the overall picture. I think the thing that I, I don't know that, that we missed it as much as I just want to reinforce it is mm. that um, the subtitle, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success, means that we're all in the, involved, right? This isn't something where uh, senior leaders go off, to the expensive retreat center and come back with a plan. This is not something Mm -hmm. where uh, we as leaders read this book and say, now I have the answers. In fact, if that's what you want, don't read this book because Mm -hmm. that's not what we're going to encourage you to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So this, this book is about create, is about creating processes that engage people in the decisions related to designing our teams and creating culture. Mm
0: Wayne, anything to add?
1: I think the big thing, and, and Kevin just just touched on it. Um, this is not a prescription. Like we're not writing a prescription that says here do this and you'll have a fabulous culture. Mm. Um, it's actually more frustrating than that, and more empowering. Uh, it's frustrating in that a lot of times, and I've got clients, I've been teaching classes on this recently, and they're like, just tell me what to do. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm telling you generally what you can do. Hmm. But this is your decision. You're getting to decide what the culture is like here. I mean, we've all worked in place. I've worked in companies that I am just not a fit. Now, I am a fairly unique human being in the number of places that I am a fit might be more limited than some, but I know when I'm not a good fit somewhere, Hmm. but I would always rather help the culture evolve to the point where I can be. And I think that's where we're at is this notion that, you know, there are things that are outside of our control. Macro culture can very often seem out of our control. But how I work with my teammates, how I choose to work with my manager, what our nuclear team looks like day in and day out, and mm-hmm. can I thrive there is absolutely something that we can strongly influence and, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. <laughs>
2: so there are lots of books and, and and I've read a lot of them. And Jeff, you've probably had some of these folks on your on your show. Mm. Uh, I have I had some on my show that have written great books that talk about some great things about culture. Mm. But in many cases, they end up being here's the culture you should have. Right. They end up being prescriptive. Uh, And, and and there's nothing wrong with the intent. And there's nothing wrong with the ideas. But it's different than saying, we don't know your situation. We don't know. Uh, what your needs are, we could make some guesses, mm. right? But if we go take you back to the three C's: communication, collaboration, and cohesion, and help you think through what do those things need to look like for all of you in your situation, it's always going to be better if you build it than if someone prescribes it.
0: Mm. Well, we're not done yet, but the book again is right here. It's called the Long Distance Teammate designing your team for everyone's uh, success. And it's available officially tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, they're going to be telling you about some bonuses you can get access to when you order it.
2: Right down there at the bottom. Just push that button, everybody.
0: (laughs) Push the button. I saw uh, in the chat, Elizabeth wrote a moment ago, I'm more creative in tropical (laughs) climates. Me too. (laughs) Guys, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for letting me uh, walk folks through this. That's sort of an audio Cliff's Notes, I guess, of the book, if you will. Uh, And uh, if you weren't convinced before this conversation, hopefully you're convinced now to go grab this and, and get access to those bonuses, which I believe I think includes like essentially getting two books for the price of one uh, as one of the bonus levels or something like that, and you exactly can get one away. Right. And keep one buy for yourself. one,
2: buy one, get one for a member. So there's someone. If you're watching now, you're saying there's someone in our organization that needs to have heard this. I wish that they could have heard this. I mm-hmm. wish they would. Right? That 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 day person. You're gonna get two, and your your goal is to give one of them to them. That's one of the ways you can be influential and in make a change in your organization. Right. Mm, mm, sure.
1: And we are having an event in a couple of weeks that is designed to carry this conversation to them. <laughs> right. So <laughs> if you buy or, for the senior leader.
2: Yeah. If you buy two copies, you get two passes to this executive panel conversation that we're doing. So you give you get a book for them, you hand it to them and you invite them to join us on March the 29th. And, uh, and so that we can real, I mean, because here's the thing. and And Jeff, you know, this as well as anybody. And, and you read as many uh, books in this genre of business and personal professional growth as anybody um, that it doesn't matter how good the book is. It only matters if you take action on what's in it. That's absolutely and great. so what we're trying to, that's part of the point of today. And that's certainly the point, part of the point of the executive session that you get tickets to if you buy your copies today. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone earlier said that if you've already pre-ordered it on Amazon, can you get a pass to that, yes, you just need to email us and we'll make sure that you take care of that there. Someone will put info at KevinEikenberry.com in the, in the chat over there.
0: Well, thank you again uh, for the chance to come in and chat with you. I really appreciate it.
2: So, Jeff, before we go, uh, first of all, everybody give give some love to Jeff uh, uh, in the chat. Uh, round of applause, so to speak. Uh, Jeff, um, it, people, ought to, people ought to be watching listening to your podcast. uh, That's for sure. Um, But take a second and tell people about your note-making mastery cohort.
0: Oh, sure. Uh, Thank you. Uh, It's a cohort gearing back up in March. It'll be its fifth iteration. Note-making mastery is all about helping you get a handle on your personal knowledge. It's personal knowledge management. We walk you through these four sort of pillars of collect, connect, crystallize, and create. So, uh, collect being how best to collect the knowledge that I want to collect, and how do I get it all in one place because it ultimately needs to be in one place? How do, I, how do I connect and organize the knowledge I'm collecting? And artificial intelligence is making that easier and easier to the point that I think in the very near future, we're not going to need to worry about organization as all, at all. Uh, and then there's the crystallized phase, and that's where we're taking the knowledge that we collect and, and writing our thoughts and ideas and our own words. I like to say that writing is thinking. But if you're not writing, you only think you're thinking. It's <laughs> another way to put it. And then lastly, we come to the creation phase. Once you've effectively collected, connected and organized and crystallized the knowledge that you're consuming, then you're able to more effectively using each of these little bits and pieces as building blocks to create something new and that is uniquely new. So that's what the the cohort helps walk you through and helps you accomplish just to make sense of all those those things that you you grab and collect, but chances are there's no organization, or you don't know where to find things, or uh, you just collect for the sake of collecting and don't do anything with it. Um, and this this helps you change all that.
2: Uh, Jeff, I haven't had a chance to tell you this, but after our conversation about this, uh, I am now at the infancy stages compared to you. But I am using Obsidian, and I'm huh. liking it so far. I'm kind of I'm I'm not in the cohort, everybody, but I'm probably gonna have to hire Jeff. To coach me uh, <laughs> around this, and uh, and, uh, and and I know that that any time that I spend with you, Jeff, is a pleasure mm. and a chance to learn. So, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure and privilege. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.